Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Reptile Living Room. I'm your host, as always, John F. Taylor. And in today's episode, we are talking with none other than herpetologist Sarah Burnham. And we're going to talk to Sarah about uh, herpetology, what it's like to be a herpetologist, how to get into herpetology, basically the whole nine yards. And today's episode is brought to you by uh, Herpeticulture House E-Zine. That's the number one digital reptiles magazine, the only digital reptiles magazine that I'm aware of, anyway. Uh, you can find us at herphousemag.com. That's herphousemag.com. And uh, hopefully you'll subscribe. Uh, help us keep the magazine alive. Uh, we're always looking for new authors, uh, new photographers, what have you. It is written for herpers, uh, by herpers, and individuals in the herpeticulture uh, arena or community, as it were. But without further ado, here is Sarah Vernon on Herpetology. So tonight we're on uh, the line with uh, Sarah Vernon, uh, also known as the Wander Herpetologist. So um, I guess, sir, the best place to start would be, how did you get into herpetology in the first place, I guess? Um, it really started uh, when I was an undergrad. So I'd always really liked going hiking in the woods with my dad and everything. So when I went to undergraduate, I, I wanted to do, you know, a degree that where I could be outside, and so I started looking and found wildlife biology, because we had dendrology and, you know, ornithology and all that, and I started uh, hanging out with, you know, the other wildlife biology students, and everybody just loved to go out in the field, you know, if it was frogs or birds or fish, whatever, we just would chase everything. Nice. And so I then, so you know, I started, you know, just going out more and more and really seeing these really cool animals and getting involved. And so then I started bothering our uh, herpetologist that was on staff, Dr. Zimmer, and, you know, just seeing if I could help out anyways. You know, I would, yeah, I think the first semester he had me, like, uh, preserving uh, snakes in the lab and stuff. You know, some of the snakes were pretty decomposed. Too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. You know, all, the, all the work that none of the graduate students even wanted to touch. You know, I was entering data from, like, you know, his notes that were probably as old as I am. So. Right. All right, so yeah. you started out pickling snakes. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my roommate at the time, she was getting uh, her uh, master's of Valerie, and she was uh, studying copperhead. So I just started going, we just started going road running all the time and, you know, looking for copperheads. And it turns out in Kentucky, it's a great place to find copperheads. This is true. This is very true. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> very cool. Now, uh, what type of research are you looking to get into now as far as, you know, after graduate school and what have you now? So where does that leave you at the moment? I really would like to go into a more of a conservation uh, field if mm -hmm. possible. I know it's, you know, everybody's dream job to save, you know, all these species they love and I would like to do that I don't know how realistic it is right now mm -hmm. um, but yeah I would you know love to work for like some big you know conservation organization trying to save these great animals or you know spreading education to the public kind of thing to help you know people understand that we need to save and preserve these uh, these wonderful organisms right right but then again pretty much anything that involves field work I'm I'm, you know, all for it as well. Okay, very cool. Now, you recently, uh, now I don't know how recent it was, uh, but you uh, worked a lot with salamanders and a lot of the amphibians that are native to uh, the, I guess, the Pacific area or Pacific region of the United States. What type of things have you found with, uh, by working with salamanders and amphibians and things? 
Jeez, we, I've worked with um, one of my friends here, uh, Sarah, was uh, working on her master's degree, and we were uh, serving for uh, giant salamanders, like cantodons in the streams, things that would, uh, tailed frogs as well, um, and some uh, torrent salamanders. So, And I've got to see um, the giant salamanders, this tiny little larvae, you know, up to the pedomorphic, you know, the, where they're still the weird larvae form, but they're like, you know, 10 to 13 inches long and can breed wow. like adults, but still have gills and live in the, you know, the streams. Right. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, you, <laughs> you get used to sticking your arms up in places where you can't see and you're, you know, feeling something really squishy. <laughs> <laughs> Here in the Northwest, you know, we don't have cotton, you know, we don't have cotton mouths in the stream, so you can stick right. your elbow up to your elbow and the only thing you have to worry about is maybe a really, really disgruntled, you know, crawfish up and right. hiding somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I saw on one of the nature programs I was watching, it was on um, the Japanese uh, giant salamanders. Oh, yeah. And these these guys were doing the same thing, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, you got to, you know, you, you just walk along the stream and then you see this one area that you think they're in and you basically, you know, like you said, stick your, stick your arm up to the elbow and if you get clamped on, then, you know, you know <laughs> you get a salamander. And I was like... No, that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's salamander noodling, you know. People do exactly. with snapping turtles. You know, you can deal with salamanders. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not so much uh, into the salamander noodling thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Can eat my arm. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I I would risk it to to see a six foot long salamander. I would be willing to stick my you know hands in its mouth in order to catch it. Yeah, I would definitely. Snapping turtle, not so much, but I've seen those, so that's not really that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. Because no, I used to, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I used to keep uh, mole salamanders, or the tiger salamanders. Um, uh-huh. God, it was a number of years ago now. But now those are protected, as far as I know, and you can't uh, buy them as bait and all this stuff. Uh, yeah, like most, I think, I don't know if they're still, like, what their status is back east. I know um, here out west, some of the tiger salamander uh, subspecies are are listed, right. and because like the bullfrogs here and red-eared sliders, they can become established in the right. you know in the ponds out here. So that's why you can't do the buy them as baits, and people can't you know really have them as pets anymore. And yeah. I know because California's got some populations of them for people using them as fishing bait and they're getting away, and then they've actually set up like populations in there. I think they're like hybridizing or something with like the barred. Oh, wow. sal- the barred salamanders or some something's going on. So yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, because that was one of my favorite uh, pets of all time was the uh, little tiger salamanders. Cause oh yeah. The way I had them set up, you know, they would burrow underneath the uh, the substrate, and you'd put crickets in there, and then they'd just explode like you know some <laughs> medieval dragon from underneath the earth just you know, swallowing crickets. And one of the things that maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about that I didn't know at the time when I owned them. Uh, but I found out very quickly that they actually vocalize. Yeah, a lot of big salamanders <laughs> will. Um, it's just kind of releasing air, like the. Um, I, they kind of, you know, just kind of do a weird little bark. Yeah, yeah. Um, the giant salamanders are supposed to have like a, a bark that you can really hear, but I've yet to have one bark at me, much <laughs> to my displeasure. I've been trying to get one to bark. <laughs> So you can't train them to bark yet, okay. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been able to get them to bark. 
just for our listening audience, um, what would you say, because um, a lot of people that are in herpeticulture, they know of herpetology, but it seems like a lot of them are convinced that, you know, it just takes, you know, inordinate amounts of time and effort and stuff like that, which of course it does, but I think it's made out to be a lot more difficult than I think people realize. You know, that yes, it does require schooling, but it's not going to take you, you know, 50 years to become a herpetologist. Yeah. Can yeah, it's not like getting a, <laughs> yeah, it's not like getting a medical degree. You know? Right. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to sign away, you know, your, a good portion of your adult, you know, code to it. Um, I just, you know, I went in for a, a, an undergraduate and a master's. Some people go on to PhD, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially if they want to be in the academic field, you really pretty much nowadays have to be, you know, have a PhD, if not a postdoc as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can definitely start to uh, get into the field as an undergrad. I know there's some really good schools that offer uh, a more focus in herpetology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, I took herpetology, just the generic herpetology class, both as an undergrad and a master's student because, you know, I went to two different schools. Okay. And it's just really like anything else. You have to devote the time to it, you know, and you have to have the passion for it. Right. So, you know, like, yeah, it's schooling and some of the classes, like, you know, genetics didn't always work out as well as I had hoped, but, you know, <laughs> this is why I'm not a geneticist. You exactly, know? exactly. So most, you know, most people that are in the uh, herpetoculture field, you already got the love of the animals and most people that I meet in the, the uh, you know that breed these animals and raise animals, they know a lot about these animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, they know a lot about these exotic animals. I don't even know like some of the stuff. You know, ball pythons. You know, I'm still learning about. And so it's just taking that kind of drive and that knowledge and just applying it, you know, to something locally, so you can study the species in your backyard as well. Right. Right. Now, some of the stuff that you're doing, um, as far as uh, I think you just recently picked up um, a position as, uh, for doing surveys, can you talk a little bit about what what is required and how someone would, you know, if they didn't have a degree, is it possible to, you know, participate in, you know, uh, surveys and things of that nature, or is that something that's just closed off to academia? Or Oh, no, 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 that... I was do I wasn't even getting I was doing it volunteer work. I wasn't getting paid for it at all. I was just because I wanted to be out in the field and help people and help them, you know, find salamanders. Mm-hmm. And uh let's see the last one I did was for uh Portland Parks and Rec and um they were just trying to survey four terrestrial salamanders on some of their, you know, their properties to see if the salamanders are there, what salamanders do they have, or you know, and then they're gonna try to Hopefully, you know, pick it back up in the spring and then do it again in the fall and see if these salamanders are returning, you know, and maybe if we put a pond in here or they, you know, coming back to the pond each year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when uh, one of the, uh, yeah, on the Portland Parks uh, surveys, we had a high school student with us. Wow. And they usually um, don't allow high school students. They usually want adults just because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be 18, you know, legal if you hurt yourself or you fall down or something. Right. Um, so they usually didn't allow uh, teenagers, but this kid was so, you know, passionate about herpetology, and he was just really excited about it. 
and he was just, I mean, he was giving me a run for my money, you know, catching salamanders. <laughs> he didn't even know what he would have, and he would just be like, I found this. And I'd be like, oh, my God, you just found a baby in some peanut that's only, you know, an inch long. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. really is just, you know, try to find uh, organizations in your area, if there's conservation organizations that are, you know, nearby, or maybe like, yeah, if you're U.S. forestry or fish and wildlife or something, Try to get a hold of them and see if they are doing surveys, because a lot of these organizations don't have a lot of money, and so they need volunteers to help them, you know, do all this kind of man hours. Right, okay. And same thing with uh, volunteering with universities. You know, as a graduate student, when I was doing my research, oh, yeah, I had a lot of volunteers in the field with me, because you just can't do everything, you know. You, you're trying to you know, look for every salamander within this area, and, you know, you don't want to be out there for, you know, the whole weekend. Right. So, if you can find, you know, somebody to volunteer with or start, you know, contact the university and see if, it, you know, for a herpetologist that might be in the faculty and see if they need any help in their lab or, you know, if any of their students need any help, you know, that you could probably help them during the spring and the summer when the herps are out moving. Mm-hmm. No, no, you don't actually, you don't necessarily have to have, you know, these big, high, fancy degrees that are hanging on your wall to just go out in the field and get money and play with salamanders. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now, what would you say is, because uh, I know you probably just can't pick one because, you know, both of us, you know, being in the reptile realm are, have a lot of different favorites depending on, you know, who we're talking to. What would be, so? what would be, say, like, top three favorite species that you've, encountered in the wild? Oh, I would have to say green salamanders are probably my top favorite. That's what I worked with on my master's. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and I just, you know, I spent two field seasons with them, and I just love them to death. They're just cutest little things. They're such a pain in the butt to try to capture when they're in their <laughs> little crevices. Oh, my God. You'd be amazed at how well a salamander can wedge itself into a crevice. <laughs> You know, and, and they're the only Anidi species that's in the east, so everything else is out here in the west, which is really neat, because it's like, you know, why are they out there? Are they a relic species? Do they get left behind because of glaciers? Does mm -hmm. anybody know? Oh, okay. So, but then, of course, in each category, they, you know, have a favorite frog and turtle and all that. You know? Sure, sure. Uh, the Gila monster is probably one of my favorite lizards. I think they are just the coolest things ever. I would definitely agree with you there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a venom junkie myself, so basically if it's venomous, then I want to know something about it and, you know, go and hang out with it in its natural habitat and what have you. Yeah. Now, yeah, I've seen... Uh-huh. I saw a uh, Gila monster once in the wild, and I was on a job site, and I had been bringing my camera for, like, months, and then I was like, oh, I've never seen anything, I'm tired of bringing it, and, like, the one... Time. I don't have my camera. Of course. Here goes a Gila monster, like, right in front of us, and we all get out and watch it, and it stops and hisses at us, and, you know, he's a little nice. one, you know, he was putting on a big show for us, and I was like, oh, he's so cute. <laughs> like, oh, I don't have my camera. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I still have yet to see a Gila monster in the wild, but I do plan to very soon. Yeah, they're so cool. They're just, we've got one at our uh, shop. Um, I work at this. Uh, a store that specializes only in amphibians, reptiles, and invertebrates. Oh, really? And we, yeah, we've got a Gila because we, um, the owner has special permits to, you know, have Gila monsters and venomous snakes and lizards. Oh, and, uh, 
We've got a Gila monster and a baited lizard, and oh. they are just so cute. But the Gila monster, she is so chubby. We actually had to like put her on a diet that she's only getting fed like every couple of weeks because she was just she's just getting a little little too little too rounded, you know. <laughs> <laughs> She is so pretty. She's reticulated, so she's that really pretty, you know, pinkish, orangish stripe. Oh yeah. Oh, they're just the neatest, neatest lizard. Very cool. Now, um, maybe you can clarify something here because everyone's heard. Well, I shouldn't say everyone. Myself, uh, a shop that I worked at, uh, the guy that owned the shop used to love arboreal salamanders, oh, and cool. used to talk about going up into the woods near my house, you know, the Cuyamaca Mountains or whatever and going out looking for them. Now, I have never seen an arboreal salamander. Now, can you explain to the audience, you know, basically what what is an arboreal salamander? Because, I mean, it sounds like it lives up on a tree. So is that the case? or? Oh, yeah, they do. Um, they are literally ar- arboreal. They're in the Nides group. So the green salamander I studied back east right. is among them. So there's what? I think they've got to the five or six species now. And they all have toe pads, kind of like a tree frog, so they can climb. And they'll climb rocks and they'll climb trees. And um, I know one species that are, that's here in uh, Oregon, the clouded salamander, mm-hmm. it also goes down a little bit into California. And they found it like something like 60, I don't even know how tall redwoods are, but it was like, 60 meters or something, absolutely ridiculous, like up in the tree, in the canopy, like, you know, the, they had the, you know, the big ropes and the harnesses, and they were going up the trees to look at the tops of the canopies and these giant redwood trees, right. and they found salamanders up there. Unbelievable. Yeah, and it's like, holy moly, you know, they, I guess there's a, there's a, a vole, a tree vole, mm-hmm. and then this was new to me, I didn't know voles got up in trees, but apparently they'll build nests in the trees, and they found salamanders, like, way up in the trees inside the vole nests. Wow. Yeah. Oh, and so the mortal salamander is a climber, too, but that one is, like, the biggest of the Anidae species. Right. And it's supposed to be a mean little salamander. Like, it actually says in one of my guidebooks, you know, warning will bite. That <laughs> <laughs> was like... I have got to see the salamander. You know, any, any salamander that's got a warning label on it is worth, <laughs> you know, like tracking down. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've seen photos of them. They've got some big, gnarly teeth on them, too. So I imagine they could, you know, it's probably, you know, give you a little bite. Wow, interesting. Now, speaking of teeth, you uh, have a picture on your website of you, uh, I want to say it's an alligator. Holding yeah, I okay. was holding a yeah a young alligator. Yeah, yeah. So how how did you come across working with alligators? Uh, that was actually I was just uh, uh, my husband and I just went down to this area that was called Alligator Bayou, and it was this like conservation area that these two guys uh, used to run, and they would just take in nuisance alligators, and then they were like raising uh, alligator snapping turtles and such. And it was in Louisiana, and okay. they would just—you go down there, and you could—they would give you a tour. We'd get on a um, like a pontoon boat kind of thing, and would they take you out to the bayou? And you know, they had alligators all over the place, and um, 
they just had one that they had raised, you know, from a, a smaller, from like a hatchling, and so it was real docile. You could hold him. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, he was heavy though. He was a really <laughs> heavy alligator. <laughs> and they had like a, a, I think they had like a five or six foot long rat snake that they were wrapping around people too. And, really? Yeah. They brought out a nutria uh, to show everybody because okay. you know. Being from Southern Illinois, we didn't have nutria, so I didn't know what they were. But they're this invasive, you know, rodent species from I think it's South America. Right. That they're you know eating into the levees, and you know, in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, it's a bad thing to uh, you know be attacking the levees. Yeah, yeah, that would definitely yeah. be a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, what type of snakes do you current? Uh, uh, working with, or have you worked with besides the uh, copperheads? Uh, let's see, what else? Um, well, uh, I've worked with pretty much anything I could get my hands on. Oh, nice. So, you know, I've worked with other venomous snakes, like um, rattlesnakes, you know, I've uh, just in the field, just come across, like here in Oregon, you know, we've got the uh, North Pacific rattlesnake, and mm-hmm. so I've, you know, seen them in the field, and timber rattlesnakes, too. Um, okay. And then just pretty much rat snakes, uh, king snakes, mm-hmm. um, you know, garter snakes. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you how many times I've been muffed by a garter snake. Oh, yeah. Uh, beyond yeah. count. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they don't like me, and the feeling is mutual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and water snakes. If you think garter snakes smell bad, uh, the Nerodia. <clears throat> oh, man, are those some Stinky snakes. They're all fish eaters. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The shop I worked at actually had a group of those. And <clears throat> I don't remember what subspecies they were or what species they were, but yeah, they were rank animals. <laughs> they, yeah, they are some stinky, stinky snakes, and they are some bitey snakes too. Oh man. Yeah, but, the only one, the only water snakes uh, that I ever had the encounter of being uh, bitten by was a garter snake. And uh, yeah. the funny thing was, is it was right after I read the uh, first report of them uh, being, well, back then it was uh, the Devarney's gland, but now it's proven to be an actual venom gland. And this, uh, <clears throat> I think it was in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Herpological Society had written an article about, uh, you know, these snakes are actually venomous or potentially venomous and, you know, talking about some of the reactions that happened. And I never yeah. thought anything about it. You know, and one missed, uh, <clears throat> one missed the fish and grabbed my thumb. You know, and I you know, pulled him off, and you know, everybody went about their business. Everybody was happy. He got the fish. I, you know, was bleeding all over, but whatever. <laughs> no big deal. You know, it's happened a million and one times. You know, with other snakes. Yeah. And about a couple hours later, my thumb was the size of a golf ball. Oh wow! And I was like, huh, that's not good. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I started calling yeah, some of my friends around, and they're like, oh, yeah, you had an allergic reaction. I'm yeah. like, allergic reaction to what? <laughs> and they're like, well, you know, and this is, again, back then, you know, when we were saying that things were mildly venomous, you know, yeah. which there's really not mildly venomous. They either are or they aren't. <laughs> and just how, what do, to what degree does it affect you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, uh, yeah, I finally got a hold of my friend back east, and he's like, yeah, 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 you're you're allergic to it. And I said, yeah. so what do I do? He's like, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, great. <laughs> Unless you start going into, you know, uh, shock and can't breathe. Yeah, and, and that's nothing what, you can do about yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty much what he said. You know, are you experiencing any symptoms of anaphylaxis? You know, I'm like, no. He's like, all right. Well, have yeah. fun. 
Call me in the morning. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, yeah. I had a golf ball for a thumb for a couple of days. Oh, was, oh ouch. Yeah. That was, that was good times. <laughs> yeah, thankfully I have yet to discover being allergic to anything uh, that's, you know, mildly venomous. Um, because I've been bitten by a lot of things. But. Okay. Now, of course, that leads up to the question, have you ever been envenomated by something? No, thankfully good not. Good deal. I've been around somebody that was, but oh, I myself really? have not. Okay. Good. Yeah, but thankfully it was in a in a laboratory setting. We were already in the town, so we were able, you know, I was able to. Get, it was my professor, and he mm-hmm. got tagged by a uh, a juvenile cottonmouth. Ouch! Right on like the tip of a finger on his right hand, and so. You know, I'm we, starting I'm, to see that as a trend in in research facilities and stuff like that. It's always the tips of the fingers. For some well, because that's usually what's closest to the snake <laughs> exactly. when you're trying to pick it up. Exactly. <laughs> and all it's got to do is just roll just ever so slightly to one side, and that thing goes in, and that's and all that's it takes. what everybody tells me that I've talked to that, you know, that has actually admitted to being envenomated, you know, even slightly is, you know, yeah, we were, you know, milking the snake or whatever, and it just rolled just the right yep. way, and, you know. And those things are, you know, they're sharp, and so they can get to, like, nothing they can go through skin really easily yeah very definitely very definitely yeah yeah that was definitely a learning experience yeah you know i was i was like yeah um i don't ever want to actually go through that personally but i can i, I observe scientifically got to see oh look look his hands are swelling up oh look now it's up to his arm yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> so we're gonna put him on a morphine drip yeah he looks like he's in a lot of pain okay yeah <laughs> You know, uh, when I first got into snakes and stuff like that, we were, uh, we would actually, and I should preface this with saying, this is not how I do it now. Uh, we were free, <laughs> <laughs> we were free handling rattlesnakes because, you know, we were, you know, we were macho, we were cool, you know, this is, you know, uh-huh. we, know we know what we're doing. And, uh, my, uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah, it sounds like some, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like some other people we know. Um, but uh, my friend happened to go get a physical, you know, annual thing, and he just happened to, his doctor happened to be one of the leading um, uh, doctors that would treat venomous bites or oh, wow. venomous stuff here in California. And he said, you know, Doc, just out of curiosity, how much would it cost to get, you know, if somebody was happened to get bitten in the hand and, you know, have to come see you because we used to do talks for uh, Cub Scouts and things, and of course mm-hmm. we would always tell them, you know, don't handle, you know, don't free handle snakes. Cause we're professionals, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not we're professionals. We're just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> which don't I, do I, this. Which I will freely admit now, and uh, yeah. but you know, he said fifteen thousand dollars, and that's oh, without complications. Goodness. And this is back. Uh, probably at least six, eight years ago now, and the price wow. has gone up since then. And um, you know, and so we really started researching, and that's what got me started on doing the venom research. Uh, like yourself, you know, I was just so fascinated by you know everything reptiles and especially venom. And I remember watching uh, episode of Venom ER with Dr. Sean Bush, and this gentleman had a pet rattlesnake that had tagged him, and he had an allergic reaction to it, and the fasciculations that ran through this guy's body were, I mean, it just looked like there was, like, millions of worms running through his, oh. underneath the skin. And I was like, and I called my buddy, and I was like, never again. 
<laughs> Ever. Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, what, what, what? And I'm like, yeah, turn to this channel quick, you know, and he saw it, and he's like, yeah, no, we're not doing yeah. that anymore. <laughs> it is so, you know, because the money thing was bad enough, but then after seeing that, you know, within a what couple of days, yeah, yeah, no, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to join you and start working with salamanders. They seem safer. <laughs> Unless you go noodling for giant salamanders, you should be okay. This is true. This is very true. <laughs> or amphiumas. Amphiumas are supposed to give nasty, nasty bites, but they're so slippery you can't hardly get a hold of them. So. You know, I I saw my first one ever when uh, we actually got the opportunity to visit with Jules Sylvester up in L.A. Oh, cool. And uh, he had one, you know, that someone had imported and, you know, then found out that they couldn't have them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, those are really They're interesting creatures. They're bizarre-looking salamanders. Yeah, you look at it and you're like, "This is a salamander, really? Sure, it's not an eel." I'm, I'm, st- I, I still classify them as weird eel-looking things. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, still not buying their their salamanders. Own... <laughs> you can definitely see the evolution there. They're, they're, they're not long for legs. That's yeah, but they're one, two, or three toes. You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and we caught one once in the field, and we were no had a. Uh, yeah, we had minnow traps set out, and we were just, you know, seeing what was out there. And because uh, as long as you check them, like, regularly and don't leave them out there, as we found out the hard way, yeah. um, you can catch, you know, salamanders and frogs in them. And we had a, uh, we pulled up, I pulled up a trap, and there was an amphiuma in it. And, of course, by the time I got it pulled up, looked at it, the amphiuma was already making its way, slipped right out. And you're just like, uh-oh, there it goes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, that's that. Oh, that's what it was. Well, that's <laughs> what it is. Exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very cool. Now, but they're supposed to have a really nasty bite, so it's probably for the best I didn't get a hold of it because it probably would have bit me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I still don't understand why they do that. You know, it's like we're trying to conserve you. Why do you keep trying to eat me? He thinks they're going to eat him, so he's yeah, going to eat you first. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, talk to us about your blog, uh, The Wandering Herpetologist. Uh, how, did, how did that come about? Um, that was actually uh, my husband's idea. Uh, you know, I, I've been looking for a job in the way this economy's going. I don't, you know, it's kind of rough out there right sure, now, so sure. I have a lot of free time. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it, it may have been to get me out of his hair. But he was just like... <laughs> You know, you have all this information about, you know, herpetology, and you have all these photos. You should really do something with it. You know, you should start a blog. And, of course, <laughs> being a field biologist, I was like, oh, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> How do you, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he helped me set it all up and, you know, get it all arranged. I'm like, I can I can, I can type about them, but I, I don't know how to actually set up a blog. Right. And... And so we just set up one, and, uh, you know, it's just geared kind of towards anybody and everybody interested in, in herbs or herpetology mm-hmm. or culture. You know, I lean more on the science side because that's my background. Right. But, you know, anything and everything. We've got a new guest writer, uh, Ethan, who raises uh, and breeds and sells geckos. Um, oh, really? Some really okay. neat, yeah, some really neat gecko species. And so he's writing for us now, and he's... You know, bringing in more of the captive care and, you know, the uh, the breeding aspect that I, you know, I don't know as much about, you know, definitely don't know all the uh, requirements to breed geckos, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, we've got another author that's supposed to be coming up soon. Um, I think after the holidays, he's going to start writing for us. And uh, his name is Miles. He is, I think he said he was 15. And so, and he's really excited about herpetology and I want to say he's in Virginia. And so he knows all the species out there. I think he's even like getting involved in maybe some herpetoculture and stuff. And so oh, he's going to be writing for us, you know, and that'll show kind of like a, the up and coming, the future herpetologist. So it gives us, you know, a new, you know, eyes and a voice in the field. So I, mm-hmm. that's really exciting. That's very cool. Cool. Yeah. Now you actually have a bookstore um, on your website that uh, pretty much, as far as I can tell, I think you've got the entire herpetology library known to man on there. I've tried to find just about anything and everything. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's some awesome stuff on here. I mean, we've got uh, Herpetology 3rd Edition by Lori J. Vitt. Um, what was the other one I saw on here that was just really nice? <clears throat> Oh, Urban Herpetology. That's one. Uh, that's another one that I need to get. Oh uh, yeah. By J. C. Mitchell. That I have book. that one yet. <clears throat> it's definitely on the wish list. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing I don't like about herp books is they're always, you know, you know. Like, yeah, I got like books that are no longer in print and they're like three hundred dollars. I'm like, but that would be so cool to have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wouldn't have any idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I you know just spent a significant amount of money on uh, Carl Caulfield's uh, first edition <laughs> book not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was that was fun trying to explain to the wife. <laughs> but honey, you said I couldn't buy animals. You didn't say anything about books. <laughs> exactly. You didn't you didn't get any more animals. Exactly. <laughs> Except for Carla, my transvestite chameleon. That was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, it was written on the. Uh, it was a bid that you know for uh, to support the U.S. art organization, and yeah. uh, on the lid, you know, it was written as a male. So you know, I didn't. You know, why would I question? You know, what somebody wrote on the lid? I mean, it's yeah, it's on there. <laughs> well, Carl, the accidental chameleon, uh, just laid eggs uh, a couple oh. of weeks ago. So uh, Carla is now in therapy for identity crisis and, you know, what have you. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel horrible, you know, Cause, and it never dawned on me to look at the heels for the for the spurs that you yeah. see on a veiled chameleon male. It just well, never dawned on me because, you know. You just assume it's male, right? Yeah, I mean, was, they wrote you know, male, so, you know, I know the male symbol, you know, it's a little arrow thing, you know, male. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> now, speaking of uh, identity crisis, uh, your husband actually is into uh, some similar things that I am, and I know this is all about you right now, but I did want to mention the uh, new website, I believe, that he just put out. Oh, yeah, yeah, we just launched our new website. Uh, the, uh, it's Elder Sign Games. Uh, and it's all about, you know, Lovecraft and uh, uh, all the mythos and Cthulhu. And it seems to be, and people under, kind of know what it is a little bit more now. I, I guess Cthulhu, uh, he showed up in a, uh, oh, God, a South Park uh, series uh, yes, cartoon not yes, too long ago, which I actually did see and was hilarious. I did like the whole Justin Bieber and Cthulhu issue going on. That I have to, I, I, <laughs> it was pretty funny. But... 
Yeah, we just uh, we just set that up. We're doing a uh, just pretty much like board games, card games, mm-hmm. uh, plush. You know, any most of uh, most it's heavily towards games, and we got a few little accessories, and dice bags, and such. So Very yeah, cool. we're both big horror buffs and big Lovecraft fans. You know, it's got to be something with reptiles and horror movies. I swear, because it's like a lot of the herpetologists or even herpeticulturists that I meet. You know, throughout the throughout the community, they're all into horror stuff, and it's like you know, I'm certain certain to see a, uh, well, yeah. a correlation. Well, I mean, there. you know, we're already out in the field, you know, with like parasites, you know, biting <laughs> us, and exactly. like you know, venomous snakes trying to eat us, and like you know, salamanders gluing our fingers together. So it's not, it's you know, it's not that surprising. It's just you know, the little step further. Exactly. Exactly. Taking our hands up to our elbows under logs and noodling for sound waiters, you know? It's just, you know, what we consider normal, other people will consider just terrifying and horrible, so. This is very true. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Some of the looks on people's faces when I tell them, you know, what I do. And you know, like, the biggest thing that's so funny to me is when I tell people, you know, they ask me, you know, what do you do? You know, I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, into herpeticulture. They're like, that doesn't mean what I think it means, does it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I tell people I'm a herpetologist, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. It's like, what do you, wait, what do you study? <laughs> and I'm just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, um, speaking of plush toys, you actually have uh, another uh, section of your website where you actually do sell uh, some plush toys of salamanders, uh, or a salamander, I should say, a snake and. Yeah, like a big stuffed snake and a little stuffed snake. And we yeah. got a little salamander finger puppet. The salamander finger puppet is so cute, you know. <laughs> I've got a few of those left. And they just, when I, I went to the store, or I saw them at the store, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to have this. Nice. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'll buy a few more as well. And I was like, well, I have to keep one for myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a spotted salamander. And I was like, you never see that. So This is very true. Very true. Yeah. And, and then we also have, uh, like, some stickers. There's, like, a Got Hurts uh, sticker that um, I've, I've made up and uh, in uh, green cards with uh, reptiles and amphibians on them. So, right, right. Yeah. And uh, now you are open to writers, uh, which is something new to me that uh, I just <clears throat> came across in the last couple of weeks, uh, that you're actually looking for writers. Yeah, I was trying to just kind of expand the website a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, like I was saying, you know, cause my, my focus is so science-oriented that I, I don't want to, you know, kind of turn people off of it that aren't as hardcore into, you know, oh, what new advancements in the field, and oh, this protein of this, you know, skin secretion from this frog, you know, is saving people from cancer, possibly. Wait a minute, you mean not everyone's into Fofflops A and B? and. <laughs> Exactly. It's just amazing to me. How is that possible? <laughs> I know, right? I was like, what? You don't really want to know what the, you know, the, the, the components of venom are? Really? I mean, come on. <laughs> Who doesn't want to know that? <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, I thought it would be, uh, it'd be fun to have uh, just different views and different stories and other people's adventures on the to share on the, mm-hmm. uh, the website as well. And so, yeah, we've got... Uh, Ethan's on there now. Uh, Miles is, uh, like I said, going to start writing for us after uh, after the holidays. And I think another friend of mine named Alan, uh, he might be uh, 
uh, writing for us soon, too, and he's in North Carolina, and he works uh, with the Green Salamanders a lot, too, so it'd be fun to get him uh, to do some stories and adventures for us and what he's doing. Very cool. Very nice. And, and pretty much anybody else who's, you know, <clears throat> wants to try their hand at, you know, blogging and, mm-hmm. uh, and has any experience in the field of herpetology, you know, they're welcome to contact me. Oh, okay. I'm, you know, again, I'm open, you know, you can, if they want to write one article or, if they, you know, they want to write one article a month or if they want to write one, a, you know, a week or a day, but mm-hmm. I'm, I set no limits. Anybody that wants to, you know, kind of share is more than welcome. Very cool, very cool. Same thing with photos, too, you know. You oh, yeah. Really good photos, bring, bring those, too, because I am constantly taking photos and uploading them. Yeah. I probably have well over a 1,000 photos of salamanders alone. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> well, because you have to take, like, you know, 20 photos of the same salamander to get it from all different angles. and you know. Well, not only that, walk. they never stand still. You know. Well, that, and you have to get, you know, their, their distinctive characteristics. You know, if it's a long toe salamander, so you've got to take pictures of its long toes. This is true. This is true. <laughs> and the costal grooves in salamanders. Yeah. Because yeah, those are yeah. a very identifying mark. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I remember uh, one time, speaking of costal grooves, uh, we found an Encetina uh, oh. in Crest here in California, which is just uh, north of El Cajon, or east of El Cajon. And we were trying to describe it to a biologist because we couldn't find it in our field guide. And, you know, his immediate question was, okay, how many costal grooves does it have? And we're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is like 10 years ago, you know, when we first got started, we're like, what the hell did you just ask me? <laughs> you know? Coastal grooves? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're like, coastal? <laughs> that was exactly what we said. Because, I mean, we heard the word coastal, but we thought he had a speech impediment, you know? So we're like, he's got to mean coastal. Okay, so coast means, like, towards the water. Maybe he's talking about the side, you know? So we're sitting there looking. <laughs> this poor salamander, I swear, I'm surprised it didn't. we didn't dry this stupid thing out, you know, as much time as he spent, you know, yeah, trying to yeah. identify this poor little thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know, and I love, I love the, 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 some of these salamanders where it's like, uh, well, this species has 12 to 15 costal grooves, and this species has 13 to 16 costal grooves. And you're like, what? It, what? Yeah, exactly. But it's, got, like, <laughs> but it's got 14. <laughs> Which one is it? <laughs> you're like, well, mine doesn't have either. <laughs> yeah. This one has 12. <laughs> exactly. Like, find a happy medium somewhere, please. <laughs> or this one has brassy flakes, and this one has gold flakes. And I'm like... What's the difference between brassy and, and gold? gold? Yeah, you know, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's more of a copper sheen to me, but... <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, uh, I, I get people, you know, that ask me questions all the time, and, oh, I saw this lizard, you know, the other day, and I'm like, okay, what did it look like? Well, it was purple. Yeah. <laughs> um, was it... Was it squishy looking? Yeah, okay, then it's not a lizard. Okay, so yeah. we need to look at what area are you in so we can figure out kind of what, you know, salamanders are going to be there. Yeah, you know, I, <laughs> and I'm really glad that my, my family has a sense of humor because they'll send me pictures occasionally, you know, or call me on the yeah. phone and say, you know, okay, I, I, I see this, you know, this frog. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need a little bit more information. <laughs> <laughs> what color is it? Green? 
Green. Awesome. <laughs> you know, and then inevitably the next question is, well, what kind is it? It's a green frog. <laughs> you know. Oh man. Oh, I yeah. know, and it, I love the names too. It's like a green frog. Yeah. Well, because it's a frog and it's green. <laughs> like, I just remember friends was making fun of me and a, uh, another wildlife biologist because we were identifying something, and he was like, "Oh, you know, is it a you know a red snake?" And we're like, "Well, you know, actually, that's the name of it." And he's like, "Wow, <laughs> these biologists are really descriptive." I was like, "It's easy to remember." Exactly. You know? If you have a green salamander and you call it green salamander, you'll always know what it is. Exactly. You'll never make that mistake again. Exactly. Guess what? Well, I have this salamander and it's red. Well, it's probably a red it's salamander. <laughs> yeah, because you start throwing in stuff like garden salamander. It's like, well, that could be, you know, numerous ones. Yeah. <laughs> Where is your garden? Exactly. <laughs> In my backyard. Okay, then it's a backyard garden salamander. It's there a backyard go. garden salamander. <laughs> it's an Alabama backyard garden salamander. Exactly. <laughs> See? Oh, I'm telling you, we should write field guides together. We'd have fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, we just, <laughs> it's like an ongoing joke now. Anytime when I'm in the field with, like, you know, my husband or friends, I'd be like, what's this? And, you know, is it a, you know, brown snake? And I'm like, well, actually, it is a brown snake. <laughs> I bet you can't tell me what the name of this spider is. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, you know, my, my family just refuses to go hiking with me anymore because, you know, they tell me I'm, it's like, you know, Rain Man with, you know, Tourette's. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You walk by a tree, you know, and you're like, Star Pine. And you're like, what? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, you just start, like, calling out things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That stuff amusing, it's just how it's annoying. So they just like, yeah. I'm going hiking. You, you guys want to go? Like, yeah, no, we're good. Thanks. No, no. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, my poor husband learned early on that when I when I say let's go hiking, you know, yeah, yeah, we're gonna go hiking. It means we're probably gonna walk maybe a mile, but it's probably gonna take us three or four hours to do that. <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many cool bugs and other things to see. I gotta turn. You gotta turn over every log because there might be something underneath it, and if it's not under this one, it's got to be underneath the next one, right? <laughs> it definitely does. You know, funny you should bring up turning over every log. Uh, my partner and I was talking about uh, that we used to prehandle rattlesnakes. We used to walk across this piece of plywood every single weekend for six months. Oh, no. <clears throat> Flipped it over every single time. Nothing was ever <laughs> under that stupid piece of plywood. We have a video camera now, and we were literally making the joke of how, and he said, you know, John, how many times do you think we're going to flip over this stupid piece of plywood and there could be jack squat underneath it? <laughs> and I have the video camera, right? Mm-hmm. And so he flips it over and this snake of some type, we haven't identified it yet, takes off like a bat out of hell. <laughs> the one time! Water jugs, not... backpacks, everything came flying off my yeah. partner as he dove into the brush to tackle the snake, whatever it was. We didn't know, but he was going to catch it. <laughs> There's this giant dust cloud, you know, 
because it's during this, it's during like right just coming up to summertime. So this giant dust cloud issues forth from the brush, and he's like, "I got it!" <laughs> and of course, I have the video camera running the entire time, so I've got all this great footage on tape because this is just such a cool find. And it turned out to be a uh, striped racer, first one we'd oh, ever cool. seen in the area. Really docile. Never tried to bite us. Nothing. Really? Yeah. And these things are supposed to be ferocious. Yeah. All, for all my experience with any, you know, we always had the black racers back here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did have one that was docile, though, and I got some really great photos of him. It was actually the one that's on my website on the left-hand side. Oh, very cool. Never struck or hissed or anything, but that, it, it, he was the anomaly. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what we've heard, you know, is this snake was just an anomaly, you know. They normally are just yeah, nasty. Yeah, racers are supposed to, yeah, they're slashers, man. They'll just, like, just rip you apart. Right, right. <clears throat> so, you know, we're sitting there talking about this, and, you know, uh, I'm filming the entire, you know, episode and what have you. We get home. We, uh, you know, release the snake, of course, after measuring it and weighing it and what have you. We plug the video camera into the television set. We hit play. I had the lens cap on the entire time. <gasps> oh, no! <laughs> Oh, no! <laughs> Needless to say, we oh. never again took the video camera without a third person to operate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, my Gila monster story. The one, you know, time I don't have my camera with me in the yeah. field, there goes a Gila monster walking across the path. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. and you're like, ah, crap, <laughs> I'm so kicking myself right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. So now, what can we expect in the future from the wandering herpetologist? Um, well, like I said, we got our new authors coming in soon. So uh -huh. That's that's pretty exciting. Um, Very and you know, who knows really? You know, okay. I, and I right now I don't know what's going, uh, what next uh, project I might be working on. I I'm getting antsy because I've been in the house for you know like a month and a half now without being in the field and haven't caught anything, so probably going to have to go out soon, Yeah, yeah. because I, I don't care what the temperature is, I have to go outside. You know, now let me ask you this, because this is something that's always uh, seeming to, you know, catch uh, herpeticulturists and any field herpers, you know, during the winter time, what do you go out looking for? Well, right now, um, the pond breeders should be moving, so... The vistamids, uh, the ranid frogs, uh, the tree frogs, in most places, especially if you're getting some rain, they're going to be moving to ponds so they can breed, because most of them breed um, in the winter. Like tiger salamanders are, have been noted to breed under the ice in ponds during the winter. Really? Yeah. And so, right, like here in the northwest are northwestern salamanders, our long-toed salamanders, the... Um, red-legged frogs, uh, they should they should be moving to the ponds now, because we've been really dry this December, so I'm not really sure, you know, how it's going to affect them. Newts, too, um, most uh, newts, at least over here on the West Coast, um, they breed during the winter, so okay. they should be moving to the ponds now, because usually by February, they've already bred and laid the eggs, and so right now, the adults should be getting into the ponds. Oh, okay. And then by, what, like March, April... You know, usually by May, most of the eggs have hatched out, and you've got you know your little hatchlings everywhere, and your uh, larvae. Yeah, very definitely. Now, where yeah. do you find um, 
where's the best place, I guess, if you're field herping, where's the best, uh, I guess, micro habitats to look for them? I know under logs and stuff like that, but is there something specific to look for when you're out there? Yeah, it just depends on what you're looking for. Like, uh, you know, if you're looking for mole salamanders, trying to find them in the woods is going to be really difficult. Yeah. Because they're going to be under the ground. Exactly. <laughs> you know? They call them mole, so mole salamanders for a reason. You know, yeah, they're they're easier to find, you know, when they're in the pond getting ready to breed or moving to the pond getting ready to breed. They're much easier to find that way. But now if you're looking for, like, plethodons, which are, you know, the terrestrial forest-dwelling salamanders, you're not going to find them in the ponds or near the ponds. You're going right. to find them, you know, in the woods, under logs, in the leaf litter. You know, some of them are near stream sides. Um, mm -hmm. Giant salamanders, you can find pretty much year-round, it seems, here. You can find giant salamander larvae in the uh, streams. You know, you get these cold mountain streams with a, you know, a pretty decent flow in them, you know, with lots of rocks they can hide under, and they're, you know, they're in there. Mm -hmm. um, and, but if you want to look for, like, reptiles, then you're going to, most of them are going to be in more drier areas, like mm -hmm. grasslands, you know, open habitats where it's real sunny and warmer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, very cool. Yeah. yeah, and some, you know, some of them, like skinks and stuff, you can occasionally find underneath logs. Um, but if you get a nice sunny spot, you know, on a, on a log or on a, a fence rail or something, check that out. There's, you know, fence lizards galore. And there's a reason they call them fence lizards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find them on fences. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, in closing, is there anything you'd like to add as far as, uh, you know, herpetology or herpeticulture or anything like that? Um, you know, uh, the biggest thing I think that uh, as herpetologists and herpeticulturists is we need to do is to, you know, try to educate the layman, you know, just regular people that don't know about these animals because, you know, we know them, we're not afraid of them, but most people still look at snakes and, you know, and salamanders as these slimy things, these mean things, you know, that they're evil, or they still have this really bad, you know, reputation, and it's completely undeserved. Right. But because, you know, people aren't educated about it, and I, I found the media kind of, you know, doesn't help in a lot of places either, um, that we need to try to get it out there that these are not things to be feared. You know, if you understand them, then they're not going to be scary. Right. That they need, you know, you need to respect them, of course. You know, if you see, you know, a rattlesnake in the wild, leave it alone. Don't try to kill it because, if you you know, if you get close to it, chances are you're going to get envenomated. If you leave it alone, you're not going to get envenomated. Yeah, exactly. You know, that kind of thing. You know, it's best just to, you know, just try to develop a respect for these animals, you know, and, and but understand that, you know, they are really, really important parts of our ecosystem. You know, amphibians are great bioindicators, and we really need these organisms. You know, snakes eat a lot of mice. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of pest species that we really don't like. Amphibians and reptiles, you know, do consume a good portion of them. So they're really, really vital to, you know, our ecosystems as well. And so I think that's, like, what I try to push for, because, you know, we need to conserve these animals. You know, <clears throat> They're declining drastically all over the world and frightening, you know, frightening declines. Uh, and definitely we need to preserve them. But if we can help educate everybody about mm -hmm. them, then it won't just be the herpetologist and, the, you know, the herpeticulturists that are preserving them. It'll, you know, 
be everybody. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think I can put it better myself, you know, just conservation, you know, educate the public, and, you know, I think we'll have a better chance of conserving the species that, you know, are, <clears throat> like you said, playing a major role in our in our ecosystem, whether we realize yeah. it or not. Well, and we're finding, uh, the more and more medical research that's coming out lately, we're finding Ugh. a lot of, like, beneficial properties in, you know, the amphibians and reptiles. Right. You know, like, the new study about the, what was it, a, it was a Burmese python, you know, and their circulatory and hearts and stuff, and how, you know, that could, studying that could possibly benefit, you know, research to help human hearts, and, you know, yeah. there's a frog where they're studying to help human hearing, and then, all oh, there's lot, a lot of research being done um, for cancer treatment, mm-hmm. like venom and, you know, skin secretions from, like, frogs and such, so, I mean, these guys, you know, they've been here for a long time, you know, some of the first, you know, organisms to crawl out of the, the you know, the seas onto land were, you know, a, an amphibian, and so they've you know, they've got a lot of uh, evolution, a lot of time behind them to you know, develop all these properties to help them survive, you know, really nasty environments. And they might be able to help us survive some of our nasty environments, too. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I couldn't agree more. All right, and so now, <clears throat> just in case anybody missed it, uh, the Wandering Herpetologist can be found at wanderingherpetologist.com. Of course, I will put a link in the show notes, as always with the uh, small banner there for those of you that want to uh, come to the website and actually look at uh, Sarah's website, or you can also type in, you know, wanderingherpetologist.com, and it'll take you right there. You can read all of her, uh, <coughs> all the wonderful articles that she has posted there, as well as uh, some of the new authors that she has uh, coming on board.